Our first speaker of the day is Dr. Eric uh, Baum. He is a clinical assistant professor, Department of Dermatology at the University of Alabama Medical Center in Birmingham, Alabama. Dr. Baum received his medical degree from Stony Brook Medical Center and completed an internship at Lincoln Hospital of New York Medical College before completing a three-year residency in Department of, uh, I'm sorry, Dermatology at the University of Alabama Medical Center. Uh, prior to his medical career, Dr. Baum had an extensive background in athletics. He was a little All-American at the University of Rochester and played at the Puerto Rico national basketball team in 1971 Pan American Games and Cali Columbia in the 1972 Olympics in Munich, Germany. Uh, he also uh, was a freshman basketball coach, assistant varsity basketball coach, and head tennis coach at Hunter College in New York City. Uh, please welcome Dr. Baum. Well, it's great to be here with all of you. Uh, I didn't want to tell you this, but I'm working on a sci-fi machine. This group always has such energy, so enthusiastic about learning, I'm trying to develop something that could sap some of that energy in this old body. What she told you, I can barely walk anymore, but uh, those were the old days. So today, for the next hour, I guess uh, you guys are going to be stuck with me. I hope uh, the breakfast goes down pretty good. But we're going to uh, talk a little bit about psoriasis topical therapy. Well, obviously, in accordance with the American Academy of Dermatology Disclosure Policy, here are some of the companies I have affiliations with. Well, some of the companies will have studies that we're going to talk about today. Some of the studies have nothing to do with any of these companies. Again, as they say on Fox News, I'll present the data and then you guys decide. Well, psoriasis, is this all one disease? You have all these different clinical presentations, and maybe it's not one disease, maybe there are other ones. But to me, it's hard to say plaque psoriasis and uh, psoriatic arthritis are the same disease, although we certainly know that uh, it's listed as one. The psoriasis overview, this is in your handout. We won't belabor this. There's about 3% of the U.S. population has psoriasis. The pathogenesis, some of you old timers remember back in the 80s with cyclosporin and transplant patients, they realized that this was not a disease of keratinocytes, but this was an immunological problem that we know a lot about and it's still, the jury's out and we're still learning today as to the possible etiology. But we're going to talk about the uh, psoriasis treatment options. Obviously, today's talk is going to be about topical therapy, but we could spend a whole hour on phototherapy, systemic therapy. Some of you people are familiar with the old traditional treatments, methotrexate, cyclosporin, acetretinin before that, etronate, which uh, was uh, preceded uh, acetretinin. And of course, now today, probably all of these various talks that you guys hear, all the dinner parties you go to and whatnot, are dominated by the biologics. That's probably why nobody goes anymore. They were so tired and burned out from hearing all these different companies do their thing. So topical therapy today, I've kind of broken this up into two types of treatment, monotherapy and combination therapy. And if we look back, some of you people have been to some of these acne uh, uh, meetings and whatnot, I guess combination therapy is important in acne where you have two different uh, treatments that have different mechanisms of action so you have greater efficacy. And I think the same holds true in psoriasis. And to me, topical therapy is the backbone of psoriasis. Now, you heard a little bit about my athletic background, so I'm kind of a traditionalist. I know I've read in the papers a lot over the years that some of these new players don't really care about the past. In fact, I was at a restaurant last night trying to figure out some of those old baseball pictures. But anyway, I always like when I'm learning about a disease to go back to the original articles and try and get some insight into uh, the guy who put that stuff all together. So in your handouts here, I have this reference for you here about Bill Geckerman, who designed the Geckerman Reg of topical treatment back in 1925 at the Mayo Clinic. And basically, everything we do today is loosely associated with his work back then. So some of you might have nothing to do to get a hold of that. So this is a list of topical therapies that I thought about. And obviously, we're not going to go through everything. We're going to concentrate here. But uh, this is what we're going to show you today. The corticosteroids, obviously, that's the gold standard of treatment. 
topical vitamin D, topical retinoids, uh, the immunomodulators, and I'll give you my opinion about some of these things. Uh, again, you may agree or you may disagree. Obviously, combination therapy is important. Anthralin, probably we don't use the bath solutions, anthralin and TARS like we used to because today our patients are spoiled. These patients don't want messy, cosmetically inelegant treatments to go on their bodies. They don't want to soak in the tub, uh, although there may be a few uh, people out there that do. The moisturizers are important, whatever you do to moisturize these plaques, and of course, salicylic acid can be very helpful in getting rid of the thick, micaceous plaques. Now, topical vitamin D therapy, it's uh, not very efficacious, in my opinion, as monotherapy, but in conjunction with other topical therapies, it certainly adds a kick and shows you that it's synergistic as opposed to additive in terms of treatment. And uh, some of you may say, well, why do you put saturated market? Well, some of you may recently know that there's a new form of generic calcipatrione ointment that came out with one company, and after January, a new a calcipatrion foam will be coming out. So there's a lot to offer there. You have Davinex, and I hope I don't offend anybody by using some of the brand names, but so you know what I'm talking about, and I know what the heck I'm saying. Sometimes I'm going to use some of the brand names so I don't confuse myself with calcipatrion, calcitriol, and all that sort of thing. But Davinex, uh, you know the dirty trick that one of the companies played when they came out with a new product, they took the Davinex ointment off the market. But again, there are three analogs of uh, uh, naturally occurring vitamin D. Davinex is one of them. Decalcitol is another one. It really doesn't work very well. And there's another, that's approved not in the U.S., but in Europe and Japan. And then another one, Maxicalcitol, is approved in Japan. And that's uh, more efficacious, but it's caused lots of kidney failure because you have high levels of calcium in the blood, so that's not a very good choice. Topical retinoids, well, there's a pretty well-known dermatologist who I just uh, actually got on the website. He was advertising a little talk, and I listened to it. He loves topical retinoids for psoriasis. I, I don't think they work. They're irritating, they're expensive as the Dickens, and in my opinion, not very efficacious, but they are anti-inflammatory, and he thinks they work for that respect. Topical immunomodulators, I've got to admit, when these things first came out, I guess about 10 or 15 years ago, I bit into this hook, line, and sinker. To me, it made sense. The good, it's an unsteroid, and again, so you don't have to worry about side effects, it sounded good. You could use it in sensitive areas. The bad, a lot of patients complained it itched, stung, burned. It didn't work very quick. And then when the black box warning came out, some of the parents kind of got a little bit afraid to use this. They were afraid their kids were going to get lymphoma. I think that was all faulty uh, thinking that the uh, scientific data did not support that, but you know the FDA has kind of gotten a little bit crazy. And of course, the ugly, those things weren't cheap. They were overpriced. Well, as I mentioned before about anthralin, bath solutions, cold tar, uh, these products are not uh, as useful as they used to be because patients are spoiled and they're kind of a little bit sloppy and messy and takes a lot of time. And again, by themselves, they're not particularly efficacious. So topical steroids, obviously, they are very efficacious. The bad, we all know about the different side effects. You have skin changes, and then, of course, you have systemic absorption. Back in the uh, late 80s and 90s, the number one cause of malpractice lawsuits against dermatologists were from steroids, hypnocrosis and all that sort of thing, when some doctors just would continue to use the prednisone. And even on young kids who have low, small body surface areas, they can get too much absorption and end up with HPA axis suppression and some other, of course, we know about Cushing's and, and stuff like that. So uh, again, you do have some bad side effects too from the topical. The ugly, they don't work very long, it's short duration. And then the other problem is the cost of the brand names. I think in the next slide or later on, uh, I think everybody will agree vehicles in the brand names are much better. They get better penetration and they're more potent. But on the other side of the coin, you have to fight the war with the pharmacist. Now here are just showing you some of the different changes that you can see here from topical steroids. I think all of you know that it can cause skin atrophy in the epidermis and the dermis. And uh, what happens here, you have shiny, thin skin. Then you have hypopigmentation, a very common side effect of steroids. This is due to a decrease in melanosome distribution in the skin. 
Here, this is very popular uh, up in, in, in Washington uh, where they have transparency. It's supposed to be something good, but transparency to a woman who has a vasculature showing like that is not very uh, uh, good. You have here the telangiectasias. And again, this is a very pretty picture. I've never seen one of these in person, but this is a stellate pseudoscar. And of course, here are the stretch marks. You hear the advertisements for topical therapy and laser. I've never ever seen anything that can make those things go away. And typically, the usual scenario is that we get a patient in our office who's been the family practitioner, and they've used lotrisone in their groin for a jock itch, and they end up with these terrible striae. Uh, purpura, again, trauma, chronic uh, application of topical steroids can cause that. And of course, in some of the more dangerous areas, the sensitive interdrigenous areas under the arms and the groin, you can readily get ulcerations. So those are some of the topical side effects that we hopefully can avoid with different strategies of the application of the products. Vehicle options, well, you can see all these different things here. It comes in cream, ointment, gel, lotions, aerosol spray, tape. I think the tape is kind of a neat thing because sometimes the patients that scratch and itch, it'll protect them and give you some occlusion. But based upon where you're going to use it, some of these things can be used more readily than others. Solutions, shampoos, powders, and even oils on the scalp. So these are products that uh, can have different vehicles where you can use them properly in different locations. If I've had a couple patients in my back that are uh, in my office that are pretty hairy guys, and you know you certainly can't use what you can use on the scalp and in hairy areas like you can on the glabrous skin or in the genitalia. So topical corticosteroids, the brand name products, have greater potency than generics. I think all of you will agree with that. The vehicle can greatly influence what you have in terms of percutaneous absorption. So if you have more absorbed, theoretically, you're going to have more efficacy because it's going to work better and give you uh, better results. But of course, the limiting factor is that a lot of these products are tier three products. Now, some of the companies have very good managed care arms that can get some of their products on tier two. But this is a war that we all fight, and, and we heard uh, uh, oftentimes that pharmacists just make it miserable for you to practice. You're busy and you don't want to fight with the pharmacist. So some of the treatment considerations and, and what you can do, side effects, well, obviously, in a young kid, you want to be careful what you use on them because they have smaller uh, body surface areas. So you have to think about the potency. Vehicle, again, the location is important and where you're going to put it, on a hairy surface, on glabrous skin, if you're going to use it on the face, in the genitalia, intertriginous areas, these are important that you don't use anything too potent. And again, a lot of consideration comes here, what you can get away with. The coupons are very helpful to maybe get your patients to be able to have a brand name that's affordable. And of course, duration of therapy. So what are some of the different strategies you can use in order to avoid some of the limitations and some of the side effects of this product? Well, decrease the application. Instead of TID or QID, maybe QD or BID. The concentration of the steroid. On the face, maybe use 2.5%, go down to 1%. Don't use fluorinated or halogenated steroids in those areas in some of the thinner skin in the genitalia and under the arms. Combination therapy. The strategy for combination therapy is that by using two products, you can use each one of them less and hopefully have less side effects with one of them. Rotational therapy. The best exponent of this was back in the old days, in the 80s, when we used systemic therapy for psoriasis. You'd start out with methotrexate, which we all know would be somewhat toxic to the liver. Then you could switch to cyclosporin, which only had one year, and then maybe go to phototherapy. So by rotating some of the different uh, products, you could maybe not have constant trauma to some of the particular areas like the liver or the kidney. Now, this is uh, some interesting uh, marketing data here. So there really is no one approach. And again, I always say to all of you out here, whether you be PAs or dermatologists, you're all artists. You've all heard about practicing the art of medicine. So if I gave each one of you guys a canvas, you would paint it differently. And this study kind of validates that. Here they have three different studies showing you here monotherapy, rotational therapy, combination therapy, and sequential therapy. And you can see that there's really nothing jumps out at you. In terms of the monotherapy, anywhere from 21 to 29%. Rotational therapy, a lot less. 
here combination therapy, one-third, one-third, and here only a quarter. And of course, sequential therapy, the same kind of thing. So there's really no one way to do things. It's a lot of different choices that you have. Another study here looking at dermatologists by treating severe, mild, and moderate psoriasis, you can see that in mild psoriasis, almost everybody uses topical therapy. In moderate, 83 to 84%. And even in severe, where you have more than a third of your patients using the biologic, they're still using topical therapy. I can be quite honest with you and tell you that of my patients on the biologics, nearly everybody still has to use topical therapy because they're not completely clear. The one that had the best results was Raptiva, and that's off the market now. So you're using topical therapy even on your biologic patients because these patients want to be as clear as possible. So we're going to break it up into monotherapy, show you some of the different options, show you some different studies here, and then move on to combination therapy. So this is a Clobex spray. This is uh, an old picture. It doesn't show you their uh, renovated uh, nozzle that they have now to use in various areas. But again, this is a formula. It's in your uh, handout books, or I guess you guys now have all those uh, power uh, de deals that the company supplies, so you can look at it there. It's basically uh, showed you that. So they're basically two phase three clinical studies here. And again, the objective showing you to demonstrate the efficacy and safety of the Clobex spray versus the vehicle is you know, pretty good uh, study. These things don't get approved unless they're well-designed and multi-center, randomized, double-blind vehicle. You can see here that it's uh, predominantly males to females, and here pro probably uh, predominantly moderate, a few severe patients here. And again, after week two, you can see 55% of patients have uh, met the criteria of clear to almost clear by week four, 78%. Uh, now what happens is that after week four, they stop using the Clobex spray, and this is meant to show you four weeks later is do these hold? And you can see here that uh, slightly uh, more than half of the patients maintain their clear, almost clear, with four weeks afterwards. And that's because they have a time limitation. You're only supposed to use the Clobex according to the PI for four weeks, and then you're not supposed to use it anymore. Here, it's the rate at eight weeks, and this is basically showing you the breakdown. Here you had patients who had gotten clear, almost clear, by week eight is 44, but this shows you there's an increase now in patients in mild and moderate, the ones that, that didn't hold. So uh, again, this is study two, and this shows you very similar results. Week two, 47%, 82% got to be clear, almost clear, by the end of uh, the four-week uh, time span, and then by stopping the Clobex here, again, uh, more than half percent of the patients contained it and held it. So here are some pictures from the study. Again, uh, this shows you here uh, some pretty nice results. It works well. A lot of these products work well. As again, you have to decide what you want to use based on the, the vehicle, the location, and all that. Here, uh, again, uh, this is areas of repetitive trauma. That's probably why when you see localized psoriasis, a lot of patients had it on the elbows and knees because those are areas of repetitive trauma and they kebnerize and that's why you have that. Again, here, twice a day for four weeks, pretty good results. So the conclusion, obviously, there was a significant treatment effect with Clobex spray compared to vehicle and at these different time periods, obviously, this uh, was approved later on. Now, the COBRA trial, who here uh, participated in the COBRA trial? Raise your hands, a couple people. Yeah, okay. Well, the reason I decided to show this is that this was done at 455 investigational sites. So what that means is that you had all these different investigators rather than a few investigators that are done in the pivotal studies. And basically the results of this kind of were very similar to what you got with uh, the actual pivotal uh, phase three. But this is the largest open-label community-based trial. Lots of patients here. It was a four-week uh, choice where you could either do monotherapy, meaning that if a patient wasn't treated before, you could add it, or if they were being treated for psoriasis, then you could add it on to what Ever they were previously receiving. So this is kind of a real-world uh, study where if you see a psoriasis patient in your office, I guess the only two choices, either they're being treated or they're not being treated, and this was how that was done. They evaluated this, and I won't belabor this. This is the target plaque severity and then a global assessment of improvement. This shows you the scales that they use to uh, determine the effectiveness 
the various measurements. And again, we're just gonna show you monotherapy, not the add-on, but the results were the same. Patients were not being treated for psoriasis, what they did. They looked at those six and seven point scales on the TPS and the GAI, and you can see here that 80% of patients for the TPS uh, cleared after four weeks, but a little bit less here with obviously the global area was a lot tougher to do than just one particular plaque. But that was similar to what you saw in the phase three pivotal study. So I think that that held true, that even though you had a lot of people that probably never did studies before, they basically got very similar results. I have to say, when I first saw a couple of my patients, I was pretty surprised at uh, some of those thick plaques. So the COBRA trial conclusions is that obviously it was effective at weeks two and four, and we won't belabor this, this is in your handout, but the investigator global assessment showed improvement for these in whether it would be a monotherapy or in the add-on therapy. And pictures show a thousand uh, words, so to speak, and here you can see at uh, the baseline, week two and week four, they did pretty good. Olux e-foam. Well, the reason I, I, I like this product is I have a particular niche for this. Like when I have patients with psoriasis or even hand eczema and they uh, have to work, this is a product that rubs in pretty good. But basically, uh, going back a few years, and again, I know we have a lot of young people in the room and some people that have been around the corner, but eventually uh, Olux came out with uh, the HE, the hydroethanol formulation. And a lot of patients complained that it was burning and stinging and didn't like it. So they developed the uh, emollient form, which was basically on white petrolatum, and that was much better. Patients really didn't have the complaints about the stinging and burning that they did with the hydroethanol formulation. And again, the patient preference conclusions, spreadability, ease of application. This, to me, is why I like the product. You have a lack of residue and stickiness. So this is something that patients might be able to use in the morning before they go to work so their hands aren't messy all day and mess up paperwork. Phase three studies, and again, this is a pretty good study design. I won't belabor that. It's in your handout. It, it was well designed. And here, males and females are pretty similar here. Uh, most of the patients were 18 to 65, but you had a lot of older patients and a few here, which got it approved for 12 to 18 years. You had a little Hispanic. But in every modality here, in every way to evaluate this, it obviously beat the uh, vehicle. Here we're talking about the five-point efficacy endpoint. They had to be positive here for all these different criteria, and they had four times as many compared to the vehicle. And this held true for erythema score, for the scaling score, for the plaque thickness score, and those that had to make two grades of improvement. So if they were severe, they had to either be moderate or, or almost uh, clear or mild. So they had to move up two classes, and again, it, it theoretically uh, wiped out the competition here. Paritis, that's important in psoriasis, and you can see that all of these were statistically significant. Now, in this patient, I probably would use a carolytic agent at night in conjunction with the Olux, but here, this was just Olux and pretty good results. So the conclusions were that the patients who use this product compared to vehicle, it was obviously efficacious, and the Olux E demonstrated statistical superiority in all the different evaluations that we, we just showed you. So it's effective and safe and approved for in patients 12 to years of age and older. Now the Kenlock Spray, this is a product that's been around for a while, but uh, a company brought it back and uh, this shows you perfectly the target. This is the longest nozzle. I don't know if size matters. Uh, you have to make that decision, but this thing could be used for a lot of different places. In the head, obviously, is one area, but also for some of the older patients, stasis dermatitis that maybe can't reach down, widows or widowers that can't uh, have anybody to help them put it on, they could help it on their back. This was a 0.3 triamcinolone compared to plain triamcinolone, only 0.1. And John Koo told me that he feels that somehow or another that by spraying this, the concentration's a little bit greater on the skin. So the uh, features here, it's got a unique nozzle. It's no touch application, kind of like the car wash. So if your patients are on their way to work, they can spray the arms or legs and don't have to rub it in. No time or age restrictions. Again, some people are very concerned about products that say you can only use it for a two to four week period. Other patients or other people, uh, clinicians, don't feel that's important. So that's uh, certainly there. I don't know if we have any Californians here, but they're real ticky about the environment, but they're no chlorofluorocarbon, so it's environmentally friendly. So don't bring Arnold Schwarzenegger here on my case. 
Joe Fowler did a nice study here, an open label study where they can use the um, Kenalog spray up to four times a day. Patients were evaluated, these time frames, 7, 14, 21, 28 days, and uh, the patient satisfaction was also uh, looked at. And that's important. Let's say you give your patient a product, and then the patient goes to the pharmacy, buys it, and then they use it and they don't like it. So what happens? Who are they mad at? The pharmacist? No, they're mad at the provider. So it's important you know that patients like a particular product. Here, to start out with, 83% of the patients were either moderate to severe that entered the program, and by the end of four weeks, 87% were either clear, almost clear, or mild. So pretty good results. And also as important is, you know, you have acne patients, these girls come in Thursday or Friday, want to be perfect by Monday. So it's important that you know, these products work quickly. And especially in dermatology, there's no loyalty in dermatology like general medicine. If your patient has a general medical doctor, no matter what happens, uh, you know, they could uh, take off their arm, they're still going to go back. But in dermatology, you don't get them better quick, they're going to move on and doctor shop. So here by day three, over 51% felt it worked. By day seven, 85%, so that's important. In terms of patient analysis, 95% of patients preferred the spray over creams and ointments, 92% said they asked for it again, and a majority of the patients felt this cooling effect. And I like, I have a little display model in my room that I show the patients, and a lot of times when they come in with this red hot scaly dermatitis, and you spray that on, it's very cooling, and patients like that. So here's some pictures before. Week one, you can see significant improvement. Nice plaque of psoriasis on the leg pretty quickly improved. Now, you're the first group to see this. This is my study that we completed about eight weeks ago and had to do all the statistical analysis and all that. But we looked at the effectiveness and patient acceptance of Halog cream in the large jar. Now, again, when you have patients come in your office with a large body surface area of dermatitis, whether it be psoriasis, numeral eczema, you know what, you can't give them a 60-gram tube. You know, they use it two or three times, and now they're done for the month. So they came up with this larger size. The objectives were to determine the efficacy and patient acceptance of the uh, HALOG for large areas and find out what the copayments are. Again, you know, if you don't know about copayments, you know, you're going to have lots of problems. Patients uh, have to deal with this, and you have to deal with this, too, as to what the patients uh, have to pay at the store. So there were 40 patients enrolled. Two didn't come back, predominantly men. The average age was 51.4 years. Now, most of these patients had psoriasis, but I also wanted to get some patients in the study who had something else. We had a lupus patient, lichen uh, simplex case that's not here, contact dermatitis, numular eczema, irritant dermatitis, and these were some of the insurance companies that had insurance. The average body surface area was 12%. So these weren't virgin patients. These patients, for the most part, have been around the corner and tried all sorts of stuff, and uh, that accounts for some of uh, the results we're going to show you. Here, 30% were uh, moderate, but 70% were severe. So we're talking about some pretty nasty patients coming in. And by the end of the study, 47.4% of patients were either clear or almost clear. So that's almost half. So some of you, compared to some of the other data, may say, well, gee, that's not so great. But we'll show you some pictures. And again, these are patients that failed on lots of other stuff over the time. High patient acceptance, everybody felt it worked at least a little. But you can see here, even uh, only 63% of patients felt that the 216 gram was adequate. So uh, that's interesting to give you an idea about how, what size body surface area. Now in Alabama, in order for us to apply for a biologic for a patient, they have to have a minimum of 10% body surface area. So remember, these patients, the average body surface area was 12. And you can see a lot of them like the way it's spread on, physically appealing. And the majority of patients, nearly 87%, would ask for it again. The mean copayment was $50. So I think that's pretty reasonable for that size. And in summary, the HALOG cream improved dermatosis in 28 days. 47.4% were clear, or completely clear, and more than 8 out of 10 liked it. Uh, again, 9 out of 10 would like to use it again if they had another problem. And uh, it was uh, convenient, and it was ver relatively cost-effective for only $50, because if they didn't have a real large area, that would last two or three months. If they had a large area, it would last usually a month. And 
This is important too. The vehicle, when this first came out, this vehicle is special. And a lot of uh, contact dermatitis specialists, when they fear somebody's allergic to a topical corticosteroid or the vehicle, they go to the HALOG because it has such a nice, clean vehicle. So patients uh, had prior experience with triamcinolone. A lot of you know that when we get these patients with diffuse dermatitis, we start out with a pound jar, and there were some advantages to use the HALOG because it's class two, not class four like uh, the triamcinolone. And again, uh, it doesn't last a month. So here's some pictures before. Now this is a guy who, he could barely walk, his feet hurt so bad. Four weeks later, I mean, he still has a little psoriasis here, but the guy's much better. Here's a hand eczema, some fissures and cracks, much better here. This is a guy with psoriasis, and you can see he just has post-inflammatory. So these are some pretty good results. This was the patient with lupus, and you can see this guy is really sensitive and miserable, much better. And here's an unfortunate lady who lost her leg. She had torn her Achilles tendon, had surgery, developed an MRSA infection, and ended up losing her leg a few years ago. She was an EMT person before, after, so she did pretty significantly well with this patient, too. And then lastly, this is a patient with a pretty bad psoriasis. He comes in four weeks later, significantly better, high power. So pretty good results and, uh, you know, pretty reasonable. Okay, now we're gonna talk a little bit about calcitriol. This will be the last one before we go into combination therapy. And <clears throat> I think if any of you Google up calcium on your computers, you could spend the whole day. This in the last five years has really taken off. And again, calcium does more than promote bone formation. We all know that it increases absorption, in, uh, the, uh, in, in the liver of calcium and reabsorption in the kidney. It has all sorts of other effects. It increases, it has antioxidant uh, type of effects by increasing metallonione. It uh, affects the cells. It uh, decreases the keratinocyte proliferation. It increases differentiation. It actually has direct, it exerts the calcitriol, the naturally occurring uh, uh, vitamin D, actually has direct effects, intracrine and autocrine uh, systems, as well as paracrine effects on the keratinocytes as well as the neighboring cells. So it has a lot to do with cell metabolism and regulating all these different things that go on the cell. It uh, has been found in epidemiological studies that high levels of calcium decrease the uh, affinity for cancer, and if you have low levels, it increases it. So it has anti-tumor, it has immunogenic uh, properties, it increases interleukin-10 and decreases 12, so you get a shift from Th1 cells to Th2, which helps psoriasis and may account for the decrease in uh, the proliferation of cells and all that. So this is uh, something that uh, is pretty important in, in dermatology and does have some important effects. Now. Some of you may remember a few years ago that Rich Gallo at the University of California, San Diego came out with this study with the catholicidins, demonstrating that it's maybe what's causing what's happening in rosacea. And some of you may not know that about 40, 50 years ago, the American Academy of Dermatology was called the American Academy of Dermatology and Syphilology. Now, of course, we don't have that name. Back in the old days, when I first started, I heard stories from the old timers that if you knew syphilis, you knew dermatology. So it's kind of interesting that the catholicidins, these antimicrobial peptides, are now expanding and getting into everything in dermatology. We all know about the rosacea, but in atopic dermatitis, I know Fred Galley was here. He probably mentioned it yesterday. I didn't get to hear his lecture. But you know that these patients have colonization of staph aureus. Well, the catholicidins are produced by the innate immune system. And what they do is they kill uh, gram-positive and gram-negative bacteria. They're found in mammals, fish, birds. They also work against some viruses. But they're also responsible for inflammatory responses. So in atopic dermatitis is that low levels of catholicidins allow the colonization of staph. So that's why maybe ultraviolet light works in these kids because it increases their vitamin D levels so they're able to fight the bacteria. And that's why a lot of us know that if you use antibiotics in atopic dermatitis, you're going to improve them. And then in psoriasis too, the catholicidins have shown a role. Calcitriol actually decreases the defensins and alarmins. I'll just give you a little quick basic science. The catholicidins, you start with cap-8, which is a 
a prodrug. It needs to be broken down by the enzyme. St uh, stratum corneum triptych enzyme, also called calocrine 5, breaks down the CAP18 to the active product, the LL37. And the LL37 is what actually does the work. But there are alarmins and defensins besides the cathelicidins that cause inflammatory reactions. So the theory being showing that calcitriol decreases the cathelicidins, it increases the inflammatory response in uh, psoriasis. So uh, that's the only basic science we'll talk about today. But that's give you a little insight into how important that the calcitriol and these vitamin D agents are. So again, this is a synthetic vitamin D. The calcipatrion was approved in 1994. I mentioned about how they took it off the market when another product came out. There are different ones here. Uh, I mentioned the tac uh, the calcitol and the maxacalcitol, which aren't available here, which have side effects. But actually, the calcitriones, 20% uh, of patients find that it's irritating, so the calcitriol was a better choice. And we're going to show you a study here about the pivotal study where this got approved in clinical three trials. Again, you had a lot of patients here in two randomized double-blind studies. Obviously, they compared it to the vehicle. This is study one. The take-home point here is that at every look at week two, four, six, and eight, that the calcitriol, the uh, Vectical patients, improved compared to the vehicle. So it continued. Now, this is only 34.4% of patients have uh, achieved uh, improvement here in terms of uh, clear, almost clear. But again, in conjunction with something else, it brings it up higher. And here, this is study two. This is only 33.3%. But again, it slowly improves uh, as time goes on. So it's slow, but it will kick in for inflammation uh, in, in these things and decrease the keratinocyte uh, production as well as increase the differentiation, which is why you have all that sticking of the cells on the outside of the skin. Here you have before and after showing you by week eight, pretty good. And uh, in these studies compared to the vehicle, obviously this thing worked. And importantly, it did not show a clinical effect on calcium homeostasis. Unlike the maxacalcitol in Japan, you don't want something that you're putting on the skin, too much gets absorbed, and now you're gonna have high levels of calcium in the blood. That's no good, because as we know, it can affect uh, the kidneys. So this was a 52-week study. I'd like to know how they do that, I mean, uh, getting these patients to come back. They started out with 324, and only a few patients uh, backed out. I think they ended up with about 179 in the study. But that's pretty good to have patients come back for 52 weeks. And again, the take-home message here is that it continued to be efficacious here. A small amount discontinued here. But the big thing here is that in 52 weeks that there was no problem uh, with uh, the calcium hemostasis here, no clinically significant. I think they had 10 patients that were elevated slightly, but none of them were clinically uh, relevant. So that's important. Now also tolerability. I told you that calcipatrione or uh, uh, the Davinex is irritated in 20% of patients. So uh, Ortone did this little study uh, comparing the tolerability of the two forms. And you can see that with respect to erythema, edema, stinging and burning, that the uh, Vectical was much less than the uh, Calcipatrion was higher with these parameters. So the Vectical was more acceptable. Here, clear, almost clear. It outperformed it as well, statistically significant, as well as less irritating. Now, they did match pairs, so this is the same patient. Somebody once looked at the slide and said, well, you're showing the wrong slide. Well, this slide here is the Davinex slide, and this is uh, uh, the Vectical slide. So obviously, at six weeks, he did much better with uh, the Vectical. So I told you again, it's going to get a saturated market. This is from a poster, Soralux. It'll be coming out very soon after January. And this is a calcipatrione foam. So the advantage of this is one, uh, you could expect it to penetrate better and uh, hopefully be more efficacious. And because it's a foam vase, hopefully be less irritating than the calcipatrione ointment. So you guys are going to have a lot of choices, uh, which is good. Topical combination therapy, so let's kind of get into this. And uh, again, to me, this is the most potential uh, in terms of treatment because you have two products with usually different mechanisms of action, so hopefully that'll spell more efficacy. So it has the most potential, again, adherence. If all of you, I'm sure you all heard Steve Feldman somewhere along the line where he does his MEM study and proves that patients lie like rugs, that no matter what they tell you, they're lying about how many times they put their cream on by using that little uh, cap with uh, a uh, chip in it. 
And uh, again, you get better efficacy because you have two products and reasonable cost. You know, I think the advantage of two separate ones, though, is that you have a little more versatility and utility than the one product. Now, some of you old timers here uh, may remember this is Yogi Berra number eight. This was after the 1956 World Series perfect game pitched by Don Lawson. And again, just showing you combination therapy. These two guys won five NBA championships together. I guess most of the women know that's uh, magic. He looks a little different today in Kareem. Both retired now. That fat guy on the right is me, and uh, me and Magic uh, did nothing together. But these two guys uh, were very, very uh, popular. Uh, John Lennon, Paul McCartney, probably the most prolific writing team of all time. But I think all of you know from history, uh, probably you were little kids if, if you were around when the Beatles were around, that together the Beatles were great. But when they split, I mean, they just weren't as good, let's face it. But again, sometimes this is the old story. Additive versus synergistic. Additive one and one is two, and synergistic one and one is equal to three. Now this is another perfect example of how combination therapy is superior to individual therapy. Now, Lucille Ball was just a chorus girl. She was a nobody. And old Ricky Ricardo, Desi Arnaz, this guy was a uh, third-rate band leader who he made Bapalu uh, famous. But together, these two guys had the longest-running TV series of all time. You still see the reruns. They were great together, but alone, they weren't uh, so hot. Now, this guy on the left, some of you may remember Donald Trump. I don't know if you can see that with the hair. And that guy over there is me. We went to high school together, and uh, he got ticked off at me because I gave a talk in New York and showed a picture of us in high school. And he graduated 12th, and I graduated 7th. So he brought me in the office, and he fired me. And, and this is why I'm here today. I don't have a job. I'm looking for work. So I had nothing to do. I won't tell you what he said when he did that. All right, so let's go now into combination therapy. And here you have Taclinex, which I guess is the, the quintessential type of topical therapy because it's only one product. But again, you know, the disadvantage is that the two of them together, you can't change it any. You gotta use it together. But the big problem here is getting these two product, products to have stability together. They had to work out the pH where both of those products can live. And here, as you know, when you're doing these pivotal studies with a combination product, you have to fight against each of the arms. So the Taclinex had to compete against the steroid, the calcimetrine, and the vehicle. And there was statistical significant improvement in all the arms, which is how it got uh, accepted. Here, you can see before and after pretty good results, although you've got a lot of post-inflammatory and the other uh, thing. And of course, the price here uh, kind of got outrageous in the beginning. They have those cards now, but I used to call this product a topical biologic because it was so expensive. Next, Ultravate Pack, and this is an interesting little combination that, thanks to a Bob Lafker at Northwestern and Jimmy Layden at Penn, has some scientific data to show that the two of these together, the 50-gram Ultravate ointment and the 225-gram Lachydrin, work synergistically together where the Lachydrin prevents any of the side effects that we showed you from the outset. The randomized double-blind study, this is done by Mark Lebwall at uh, Mount Sinai, and what he did is evaluate the efficacy of the ammonium lactate lotion and halbetasol in the treatment and the maintenance of psoriasis. So they're going to show you what it does before and how you can continue it there. The plaque psoriasis were treated as per the PI, where they use the Ultravate ointment twice a day and the Lachydrin twice a day for two weeks. Then what happens if the patient qualified, they were clear, almost clear, they got in the maintenance arm. The maintenance arm was using Lachydrin twice a day and a weekend placebo, and this is the so-called sequential therapy, versus Lachydrin twice a day and the weekend uh, Ultravate ointment. So one had a placebo, one had the Ultravate on the weekends, but they both had the Lachydrin during the week. And this is showing you a plaque here in two weeks. This is almost clear, so they had pretty stringent criteria, pretty good results with the Ultravate ointment and the Lachydrin. Then this patient qualified. This is just another patient in the study. This is week 26, using the Ultravate ointment only on the weekends. And believe me, I have some biologic patients that don't look this good. But the mean time to relapse was definitely affected. That if you had the Ultravate ointment twice a day on the weekends, you're lasting 19.7 weeks. Whereas if you used the placebo on the weekend, not the uh, uh, Ultravate, you used just the placebo, and the Lachydrin only lasted 7.2 weeks. So in his conclusion is that the Ultravate pack was effective. These are old studies where you only got 68%, 75% made it to the clear, almost clear here. And the Lachydrin with the 
weekend use had a significantly longer period of time, 19.7 weeks compared to 7.2 weeks without uh, the weekend Ultravate ointment. This is another big name in uh, uh, psoriasis, Johnny Koo. So you got these guys using these products and working on it. He did a study where he used the Ultravate once a day with lac hydrogen twice a day, compared it to Ultravate twice a day. The theory being is that Steve Feldman is pervasive. Look under your tables, he may be here now, but he's gotten everybody's minds about compliance and adherence. So maybe once a day is a lot easier to do than twice a day. And here he showed you that at the end of two weeks, there was no difference between between the once a day or twice a day uh, halobatasol. And here you're showing in two weeks a significant improvement, and then by using the lac hydrogen twice a day, it gave you duration of the results. It lasted longer. His summary, once a day, twice a day is equal, and the lac hydrogen increases the duration of the uh, topical steroid effect after you stop the steroid. So again, these are all people that are trying to obviate the side effects in the skin as well as maybe some systemic ones by using other products. Now, this is a multi-center, open-label study to evaluate the safety and efficacy of a consecutive treatment. Now, this is a so-called uh, um, treatment with the uh, Clobex spray twice a day for four weeks and then by using the calcitriol for uh, twice a day for eight weeks. So again, this is again sequential therapy here. And this is very similar to what they did with the Ultravate pack. The initial therapy, the first four weeks, they used a Clobex spray. Patients got pretty good. And then they stopped it as per the label. And then the next eight weeks, they did the VectorCal ointment twice a day. And for a total of... Uh, uh, 12 weeks. So here at the end of four, it's 93% of patients had significant improvement. Then they stopped the Clobex and then used the um, uh, Vectical for eight weeks. And you can see here that 84% of patients achieved treatment success after 12 weeks, followed by the Vectical. So 84% maintained that. Here, the sequential therapy, starting at week two, you can see it gets up to 93% by week four with just the Clobex. And then in week eight and week 12, you're down to 74%. Now, the difference here is that the 84% got uh, to be uh, improved, but the 74% of patients were either clear, almost clear, or mild after 12 weeks of therapy after stopping the Clobex and using the Vectical for eight weeks. Now, this is the Ku Mentor, and I know there's uh, somebody who works with uh, Alan Mentor, one of the really nice guys in dermatology here in Dallas, but this is a 12-item psoriasis quality of life uh, questionnaire, and basically determines about, we all know the emotional, the psychological impact of psoriasis. Patients are couch potatoes because they're embarrassed to go out, take their shirt off at the beach and all that. But anyway, before 71.5% of that sequential therapy, which means that this has a really negative impact, by the end of 12 weeks, it was less than 50%, which means it doesn't have a significant impact. And here are pictures showing you before week four and by week 12. And again, you can see, you stop the Clobex at the end of four weeks, and then by week 12, they start to break out again. And this is just because the steroids are so effective, but again, it's a two-edged sword. You have side effects. Here, this is a baseline, week four, and here again, this is, looks a little bit better, but you still see the beginnings of uh, coming back here. So the study conclusions here are that 84% of the patients achieved treatment success on a sequential regimen, 93% got better quickly, and again, uh, the proof of the pudding here is the body surface area was decreased uh, significantly by the end of, of the study. So 81% of patients achieved global improvement, and the patient's uh, quality of life was significantly improved. Again, Vectical may help sustain benefits when you need more aggressive therapies at, uh, for the disease. Now, we're going to end up with a couple of these different regimen flexibility studies. And again, these are just like us, as we said at the beginning, painting your canvas a little bit differently. And what that means is that you have lots of different ways to skin a cat, lots of different ways to employ the products that you use. The rationale for this topical regimen studies is that obviously high potency steroids get you clear, but you don't want to keep on using those. Uh, the majority of patients can maintain remission with uh, topical steroids and other agents, and there are different regimens that we can use. So here are the different regimens. You have the AMPM regimen where you can use the Clobex spray in the morning, the Vectical ointment at night, the weekday weekend. Again, this borrows from the Ultravate where you use the, uh, the Vectical 
inject the cow twice a day during the week, and then the weekends you just use the Colbex, similar to what we showed you with the Ultivate, the sequential regimen here, where you use the Colbex, as we showed you, twice a day for four weeks, and then you use the Vectical ointment. And again, this is in your handout, it's a study design, you don't want me to belabor that, but these are all pretty well done studies. The AMPM regimen show you uh, baseline, at the end of uh, week two and week four. Again, you're still using the Clobex every day as well as the uh, Vectical. And before and after here, again, pretty good results. The AMPM study, 85% of patients were clear by uh, week four, a 51% mean reduction in body surface area, which is pretty nice. And by weeks two and four, subjects were either clear of mild scaling, and 87% agreed that the treatment was easy to follow. And that's important. Patients don't think it's easy to follow, but you know, use one product in the morning, one at night. And this is one of the versatilities. When you have two different products, rather than uh, the Taclinex, where you really only have one product, but you can't increase one or decrease the other. The weekday weekend study results, here you have a decrease in 39% of body surface area by using the Vectical twice a day and using uh, the weekends, only the uh, um, steroid, the Clobex. Showing you results, pretty good results. Here, an area of repetitive trauma on the elbow, weekday weekend, pretty good results. And again, the summary here, a decrease in 39% mean reduction in body surface area. And here again, 90% of patients agreed that you know, this was uh, relatively easy to follow. Of course, we know patients lie, so who knows. So in conclusion here, the therapeutic options are really numerous. So how do you decide what to use where? Again, you could have me 50 different selections here, and they're probably all right to some extent. There is no right and wrong. You have to decide the location. Are you treating the genital area under the arms, the face, the scalp? Obviously, the hands and the feet can tolerate almost anything, and you're probably not going to have atrophy there because of the thickness of those areas. The body surface area. What are you going to put on these people when they have very big body surface areas? You have to know what you're doing there. The vehicle is important. Again, if you use a, a good vehicle where you're going to get greater penetration, that's going to get you better, better efficacy. Potency. Should you start out? The two different strategies are, some of you in this room, when you see a patient, We'll get the patient in and treat them with a type one right away to get them better. And then when they come back, you might go down to a mid-potency one. Others in the room will say, well, let's start out with a mid-potency. And then they come back, if they're not better, you increase to, uh, the, uh, str uh, to the stronger one. So these are little uh, decisions that you guys have to make. Potential side effects. Always risk versus benefit. You guys got to decide, well, is it worth it to use this product here? Am I going to get any side effects? Cost. If we ignore cost, we're just like uh, uh, that old picture there, covering up your hands, your ears, and, and whatnot. You guys have to realize the economy is terrible today. A lot of patients have lost their insurance and can't afford these big co-payments. So these coupons are you know, really important. I was at a uh, board meeting a uh, while back, and a, and a dermatologist got up and said, I didn't go to medical school to learn how to give out coupons. Well, of course you didn't. but. I think it's a marketing tool. If you let your patients know you're compassionate, you care about their skin disease, and you're also worried about how much they're gonna to have to pay at the pharmacy, they've gotta think a little bit more of you rather than you write a prescription and walk out and don't give them the coupon. Does it take an extra second to have your assistant uh, get a coupon that can make a better product uh, more reasonable and affordable for the patient? I don't know. And then again, compliance and adherence by using uh, the different combination therapies, maybe using a little bit more than monotherapy depending upon the number of applications. So with that, I guess I will uh, have our closing ceremony here. That was back in 1972. I don't think that looks anything like me, but believe it or not, that was me. So I uh, thank you all for your attention. I guess we have a couple of minutes for Q&A.